In this episode, I'm talking with Matt's brother, Dan Ranella. Dan is a PhD fisheries biologist working in Alaska. Our conversation is centered around rising stream temps and how it's affecting salmon populations. You might be wondering why this is relevant to hunting and the Hunt Quietly podcast. Honestly, I'm not sure that it is. But it is one of the most significant and important topics facing sportsmen today. Just in the last 20 years, the streams and water bodies surrounding Anchorage, Alaska, where I used to fish for the better part of a decade, are all but closed to fishing and have been for quite some time. It was actually shocking to learn this. Hopefully, my talk with Dan shed some light as to the importance of keeping and maintaining healthy salmon populations in an ecosystem that is relatively untouched and intact. Finally, I would like to dedicate this episode to Joe Brancato. Joe was a fishing guide on the Salmon River in upstate New York, and one of the most knowledgeable and giving fishermen I have ever known. You will be missed, my friend. Fish on, Joe. This is the Hunt Quietly Podcast. I'm Matt Ranella. Hey, Dan, how you doing, man? Hey, good, Jim. Glad glad to, to be here. I've been waiting to do this episode for a while now. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been putting you off. Thanks for your patience. <laughs> no, no, no worries. It's a busy time of year. You're you're in Alaska, and uh, this is going to be like a a one eighty from from the type of episodes we do on Hunt Quietly. So we're expanding, and I'm happy to, happy about that. But this is like a one eighty. It's we're going to talk about salmon and uh, Alaska and some of the impacts that we're seeing to the salmon fisheries based on rising temperatures. Um. So, but before we do that, let's, before we get into the nuts and bolts of, of that, how, how was your fishing season and hunting season? Um, boy, yeah, it was a weird summer for me. I didn't, uh, I didn't fish salmon around home much and, um, which although I normally fish, fish coho around home a lot, it's just an easy thing to do. Um, but I was busy with other stuff. Um, but yeah, we went down to the, check in southeast and fish bottom fish a bunch down there and that that went pretty well um you know all speaking of warming and fish um you know one thing we used to go after a lot down there was pacific cod and they died off and during the ocean heat wave in 2014 and haven't really come back yet really uh for the for the north up here um uh, pacific cod seem to be you know in catchable numbers um in southeast but we just haven't we, you know, we used to catch so many, and we would move sometimes because we were catching too many cod. We wanted to go find some halibut, and now, um, boy, it just, you know, if we catch a few of them in a in a in a week of hard fishing, it's it's noteworthy. Really, um, wow. Yeah, and then so, but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. My wife went and did um, some a little bit of commercial fishing and brought some um, sockeye and king salmon home from from that so yeah we got plenty of fish in the freezer you don't uh um, spend your days at ship creek fishing <laughs> you know our ordinary <laughs> most years i do i do i spend some time <laughs> in the boat down at the mouth and I, I i enjoy it uh fishing the hatchery kings down there it's close to home yeah um 
the last couple of years have been really slow down there. Um, I think those, just those those hatchery kings just aren't even surviving well right now. And this year, I just had so much other stuff going on with field work. I just had a real busy field work season and um, um, focused on king salmon. Actually, a lot of it is. So I did not uh, did not spend too many. I didn't spend any evenings at Ship Creek like 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 normal. I do like going down there. I like the I like the crowd down there. I got some friends down there that I always see, you know. And yeah, I, yeah I when I first moved there, I, that's all I did was go down there. Like after work, it was so conveniently located, you know. Oh yeah, 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 I, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I, I, I like fishing down there. I'll probably be back there next year. But yeah, it's been it's been real slow the last couple of years, especially for kings. Um. Yeah, and then hunting wise, I went on a couple sheep hunts. Took my son out for uh, youth sheep, and we had man, we had a great trip. Um, didn't pull the trigger, but you know we did have a couple legal rams uh, filed by us in a big group of rams. Um, we just weren't quite ready for them, and we weren't sure if they were legal at the time. But we got to watch them for a while after that. And boy, they sh- they sure were. So that's pretty exciting for him and me. Um, that's cool. And then, uh, yeah, I did another sort of experimental sheep hunt that didn't really pan out. And then, um, um, yeah, like we were talking before we started recording, went out with some a uh, couple, couple professor friends out to did a long boat trip on the Yukon, and um, and you were able to get some freezer Yukon. meat, right? Yeah, yeah, I had a trophy tag, and I was hoping for the the bull of a lifetime. But uh, <laughs> I think it was like day five uh shot the first moose we saw which was just a little dinker bull and was more than happy to have some meat for the freezer and uh pull the plug on that trip so um yeah 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 always fun well i guess we're going to talk about salmon and and i i don't know like salmon are my my favorite fish species i i just if if god came down and said i had to choose between deer hunting and salmon fishing it'd be a hard decision and oh wow and most of my salmon fishing i do on the great lakes obviously i'm out of pennsylvania so logistically getting back to alaska has been difficult but you 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 grew up on the great lakes fishing for salmon so um, oh yeah yeah I, I think it's tremendously underrated i yeah I think that's, a, that's fishing salmon in michigan is what sort of piqued my interest and curiosity about them. They're very mystical to me when I, a, when I was a kid, you know, and I sort of went that down that road in school, fish with sort of emphasis on cold water stuff. And um, yeah, yeah, I wound up here. But yeah, I don't, I'm not sure I'd be here if it wasn't for those Great Lake salmon. Yeah, um, they get a bad um, rap, I think. You know, they, people call them mud sharks and I don't think they're, they're, regarded in high esteem with a lot of uh fly fishermen per se but i love them i think they're fun and i think if you hit them early season and you catch them fresh the eating's eating's really good too i mean i'm i'm a salmon snob but they're perfectly uh (laughs) yeah good for the they're edible (laughs) yeah 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 uh, I was struck, but after living in Alaska maybe ten years or so, I went home and we I trolled with a, a friend in Lake Michigan, and we got some some beautiful bright kings. They're really pretty fish. Um, but cutting them open, they're just kind of they struck me as being pale and yeah, uh, mushy. Yep. 
No doubt. It's 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 definitely not a Copper River Red for sure. But yeah, uh, yeah. you know, you smoke them and and do some different um, marinades. They're 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 edible. So yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. I agree. Tell us, like, tell us about your background. Obviously, you're uh, uh, a fisheries biologist, and you know, give us a little bit of back about your background and how you made it up to Alaska. Yeah, I like I mentioned, I uh, studying cold water fish was kind of the only thing that ever really interested me, and so um, yeah, I went to when I got, got out of high school, grew up in Western Michigan, moved to uh, went to college in the upper peninsula at Lake Superior state. Um, they had a fisheries program. There's it, 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 it had a fair bit of, you know, ecology type offerings and a little bit of fish culture stuff that I wasn't really all that interested in. Um, but the, but the, the fish ecology is what really struck me. And then, um, um, after that did technician work for, I guess a couple of years and then fell into a master's program at Auburn University working with aquatic insects, which was another thing that has always interested me as a kind of sort of angler and fly fisherman. And then when I finished my master's, I was um, um, really interested in jobs in Alaska, um, applied for a job at University of Alaska Anchorage, which is the first job I applied for and I got it. Um, so I worked, wound up working there for 17 years and then I went back to school during that period and got my PhD at University of Alaska Fairbanks, um, studying local salmon here. Um, and I've just stayed in the field since. So I guess I've been here going on 24 years, um, you know, worked in aquatic ecology and salmon ecology the whole, the whole time. Um, and I, and I work on the federal side now as in the, in the research realm, not, not, not in the management realm. Gotcha. So that's what what brings us to, to to this discussion, which is rising temperatures and your research you're doing on on salmon. Do you want to give us the thirty thousand foot level on some of the research you're doing and what kind of uh, data you're looking at? Yeah, I guess the, the big picture stuff is we're, you know we're mostly focused on chinook or king salmon, um, and it's as in, in, in large part because we're in the middle of a prolonged, um, you know, 10 plus year downturn in Chinook salmon productivity pretty much statewide. Um, they're just not doing well right now. And um, when you see a pattern sort of that prolonged and that geographically widespread and, and, and considering the fact that our, our riverine habitat is largely intact so you know it's not dams and roads that are the problem um it's you know it's it's it it it, it sort of seems pretty reasonable to deduce that something's going on with our climate weather system that that is affecting them at some at one or more points in their complex and um mobile life history right so yeah um it's we're just trying to figure out where we, we picked, uh, uh, I'm focused largely on one salmon population and that's, that's in a particularly warm salmon stream north of Anchorage here. Um, historically very productive stream. It's always sort of been on the warm end of 
salmon habitat, you know, and so we're kind of really digging down into that system and trying to figure out, and, and we've done some work previously that, that pretty strongly suggested that, um, that warm temperatures, um, during, during, you know, the juvenile king salmon rear in freshwater for a you know, full year before going to sea, um, warm temperature during that rearing period has been correlated with declines in productivity, just, just kind of in a data mining exercise we did. And then, um, and then we also see some telltale signs of warm periods during adult upstream migration and spawning is sort of negatively correlating with, um, with, with King salmon productivity. So we have some sort of correlative signs that, um, yeah, especially in the sort of the type of stream that we're working in, it's called the Deshka river and it's a, it's a lowland, uh, swampy system. Uh, the highest point in the watershed is about, I think it's about 1200 feet. So it doesn't connect to any persistent snowpack. There's no glaciers in the watershed. Um, it's just a, 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 a lot of standing water, a lot of just real snaky streams, a lot of beaver ponds. A, a, if you can imagine a very high residence time for this water as it moves across the landscape, it has a lot of opportunity to warm up. Yeah. And it's uh, it's tannic water. It's it's very dark stained, like like dark black tea. So that soaks up more heat, too, than, than clear water would, you know. Um, and uh, the the stream banks aren't really ha- aren't really uh, treed. They don't really have much shade. It's it's a it's a lot of kind of tall grass and and a little bit of willow brush and stuff like that. So a lot of sun hits the stream. Um, it just gets warm, you know. Um, and 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 in a warm summer when it's kind of dry out, we'll, we'll have you know like in summer of twenty nineteen was sort of a record hot summer. And uh, there was a like I think I want to say a three week period where the lower main stem of that river, where all the returning king salmon have to migrate through. You know, there's about a three week period where that thing was like up in the lethal temperature range. You know, yeah, for salmon. So, yeah, we're we're, we're interested in that system, and 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 in part because it's it 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 um it it's there's a lot of similar type streams on our landscape and and those lowland streams have historically been some of the bigger salmon producers because they are warm and in in the past they've been sort of in the goldilocks zone and have afforded those fish some rapid growth because of the warm temperatures but but now we think that in some years they're they're kind of pushing up over a threshold where they're just not really good salmon habitat anymore yeah and just just so i mean obviously some people are going to be listening out here that that don't think global warming's a real thing, but let's without being political, temperatures are rising. That's that's not debatable. Whether it's human made or man made, that's that's not a topic we'll get into. But temperatures are rising, and 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 it's uh, hard to ignore. In some of the research you sent me, I was reading through uh, Alaska's warming twice as fast as the, as the lower forty eight. And you guys had some some significant temperature uh, increases from what you determined to be ideal conditions for salmon spawning and and rearing and incubation. So we're talking like 
13 degrees Celsius is, is ideal from, from some of the research you sent. And you had temperatures up to 23.7 degrees Celsius. Mm-hmm. Oh, in that paper's all we've seen high, higher temperatures. Have you? Uh, in, in the meantime. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Hotter, hotter and for longer, you know. You know, another, another, another thing I forgot to mention earlier when I was talking about warm water is that is that king salmon uh, migration and spawning here, too, is, it tends to be a kind of a, a, a midsummer thing when our days are really long. And that's another yeah. thing that contributes to the, you know, the sun is just up high over the horizon for so many hours every day. There's just all that much more time to heat the water, you know. And is the Deshka off the, the Big Sioux? Yeah, it's a west side Susitna River tributary. So for anyone that's familiar with the area, the you know, we we, we access most of it by canoe. Um so go off the Petersville Road system and access a couple tributaries up there and then float all the way down to the mouth um for our work and then um we'll some one of us will run in a jet boat from Deska Landing down to pick our crews up. Yeah. So, yeah, basically we're floating from like, you know, Trapper Creek to Willow basically when we are working on that river. A lot of those park highway streams are or warm water streams, like they connect to the Susitna, right? Yeah, yeah, but the ones you cross in the park's highway are draining um so those would be the the east side Susitna River streams. You know, they're they're draining a little more mountainous terrain, like a lot of those head up into the Talkeetna Mountains. Um, okay. So they're actually a little cooler than the ones on the west side that are draining all that flat country, you know. So how do you how do you manage? But those are those streams aren't doing all that well either. Really? Yeah, they were in trouble when I was there, and that was a long time ago. Okay. I remember yeah, at one yeah, point. When I moved here in... Go ahead. When I moved here in two thousand, they were still quite productive. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I remember. Uh right after i moved in 2006 talking to buddies and we used to the willow was one of my favorite streams to fish mm-hmm. and i was like you were on that stream fourth of july and and at one point i think it got shut down for kings right oh yeah it's oh yeah it, it's been closed now for years um and the the runs are in such bad shape you know in in, in the past they would it would default to being open and then if the run wasn't shaping up the managers would close it by emergency order and uh things have gotten so bad now that it defaults to being closed <laughs> that's <laughs> so crazy not, yeah yeah um see i don't think yeah i don't i don't think there's a open king salmon fishery in this to sit in a basin right now and you know those are all wild fish like around anchorage the only king salmon fisheries that are open are um like the occluded tail race and ship creek um because they're hatchery yeah runs you know and even even those runs aren't doing great do you want to get into some of the 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 things that are causing these or the speculation of of what's causing these the early breakups the sedimentation glacier melt do you want to get in it that that research you guys did um yeah, I think it's I think it's well, it's hard to say on any for any given run, even the one that we're digging into so much. It's hard to say exactly what's the problem, you know. Like, yeah. 
Um, the habitat's still in good shape. Um, we see these um, different types of weather patterns that correlate with different, you know, potential problems at different life stages. But I think of that more as like a hypothesis generating exercise, you know, like, gotcha. so we, we have sort of these informed hypotheses that say, you know, things are getting too warm at certain times of the year for certain, you know, activities that the salmon are, 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 are needing to do in freshwater. And, and, that, and, and then, you know, my freshwater is my world and, you know, these fish spend most of their time out in the salt and things are changing out there, you know, just as dramatically, if not more. And, and I, you know, I guess to a fault, I don't, I don't pay enough attention to what's going on out there either. So it's really hard to, and, and on a system like we're working in, we just know, you know, on, on the management side, you know, we're not counting fish going into the sea or the, you know, the state who manages the fishery. Um, they're just counting adults that come back. So, it's 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 almost impossible to 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 even infer whether or not the problem is something that's happening in freshwater or saltwater or both, because all you know, all you know is how many adults come back every year, so you don't know really know where the breakdown is. You know, right, right. Um, it's co complex. It, yeah, yeah, a lot of complexity. Yeah, yeah. So there's a, there's a couple systems where um, I think they're they're in both in Southeast Alaska where the state has been monitoring smolts going out every year and adults coming back every year. And then you can start to, you know, at least get some feel for whether the problems are in the marine environment or in the riverine environment. And I think in, in those cases, you know, I think those particular streams, I think that, and, and I haven't really kept up with the research, but the data there pointing towards more of a marine problem down there, you know, you know, just changes in the food web, changes in the food base, um, warmer, Warmer ocean temperatures will shift the zooplankton prey base to one that's um, that has less energy content, less lipid, and things like that. So, yeah, it's it, there's there, it's it, there's 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 sort of temperature related changes happening, and, and to some extent they're both correlated to both in the marine and in the freshwater. And so it's it's kind of hard to parse things apart. Yeah, and I. I saw that the uh, the acidification of the ocean is is a major concern. Yeah, that's that that that's going to be changing, or probably already is changing the prey base. Yeah, for sure. What about um, the Kenai Peninsula streams, specifically? The, well, the Kenai River, which is arguably the one of the greatest fisheries in in the world, right? I mean, historically. Yeah. Yeah. There's kind of a pattern there. Uh, it just in in general, the king salmon runs there. There's two runs: early run, late run. And you know, for people that that are listening to this that might not be familiar with these streams in Alaska, the Kenai River is on the Kenai Peninsula. It's road accessible. It's a very popular uh, fishing destination for anglers. It has two distinct runs of salmon: an early run and a and a second run. It has the largest king salmon uh, in the in the world, and the state record in Alaska, which was ninety seven pounds some ounces, was caught there. Yeah, yeah. In the what was that late late eighties? Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah, 
they I want to say nineteen eighty five, but I could be wrong on that. It was like and it was early a, too a, in May. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, it was an er, yeah, it was a, it was surprisingly early because fish. I think the late run fish tend to be bigger there. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a record that may never be broken. Um, you know, and aside from fewer king salmon uh, sizes is kind of ratcheting down too. They're just, they're, they're not living as long. They're not getting as big as they used to be. So yeah. And the Kenai, yeah, the King salmon, both the King salmon runs there have not been doing well. The fisheries been restricted for a, many years there, but the, the sockeye runs have been faring quite a bit better. Um, like there's a, you know, they've had some nice runs into the, into the, into the Russian. And so, yeah, this, this, and, and same with other areas too, like 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 Bristol Bay, you know, where so many sockeye salmon are produced. Those runs have been doing great out there. They've been setting records. Like they're the sockeye salmon are responding very positive, positively to our warming conditions. Uh, yeah, I saw in the um, research you guys had that kings and cohos are are the are more vulnerable to warming temperatures, especially kings, as you as you've been indicating. Yeah, they seem to be a little more temperature sensitive than coho, um, and then they're spawning at it during the peak of the summer, whereas coho are spawning more in the fall after water has cooled down a little bit. So that probably makes them a little more vulnerable. But then coho salmon tend to live two years in fresh water, um, so they're in you know they're in the river for a long time. And, oh, I didn't know and, that they they're in the river yeah. for two years here. Yeah, sort of at the north end of the range here. They they're they're yeah they're they're um, pretty far in the freshwater end of the salmon spectrum, you know, um, they spend most of their life in freshwater actually. Yeah. Um, and we even see a few that, that never go to sea, which is kind of interesting. Wow. So yeah. And yeah. And the key, the key is sort of, a, I guess maybe a little bit of a microcosm of, you know, the rest of the state where, where, or, or much of the rest of the state where sockeye are doing pretty well and seem to be, um, having a little boom in productivity due to the warming, but, but king salmon are, are 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 not doing well. Um, you know, let's create some problems for the sockeye salmon fishery in the Kenai too, where, where they're coming back in good numbers, but they're having to shut commercial fisheries down there um, for a pretty abundant sockeye because the king salmon are migrating at the same time and they're being caught incidentally uh, by uh, gill netters that are fishing. They're targeting sockeye, right? So yeah. The downturn is affecting opportunity there for sockeye fishing. Yeah, and then you have the dip netters who, if you spend some time down there, man, you could take a lot of fish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And and then yeah, or you know, uh I, I don't think they've they have they haven't allowed any harvest of king salmon in the dip net fishery for a while, as I as I recall. Yeah. And so the first the first king run is closed down, right? I mean, you can't you can't even fish the river for kings during that during, during that the time. early run. Yeah, I don't. I I, I don't. I, you know, I don't, I don't fish kings there. I don't spend a lot of time uh, paying attention to the management down there. But yeah, I think the early runs doing. I shouldn't even talk about it. I, yeah, yeah. There's other guys in my office that are way focused on the Kenai. Yeah, so it kind of lets me off the hook. Yeah, yeah. In the in the. The, the second run, like you said, would would be the the larger fish in the. Yeah, I think it's it's a bigger run too, and it's a bigger run too, and you can go down there and fish for kings, and then catch your one king, and then go on the bank and fish for for reds, and in some years the limit was six. You know, they'd up it to from three to six. Yeah, 
it would open it. It would open as a daily limit of three, and if the run's good, they'll bump it up to by emergency order. They'll bump it up to six a day. I think it's it's gone even higher than that sometimes. So in, in your modeling, you guys are looking out 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, right? And your projections, this is only going to get worse. Is 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 it something like that's irreversible? Or are we are we just trying to um, navigate a catastrophic outcome? Well, it's hard to picture it reversing without um, you know a tremendous uh, decrease or even re- reversal somehow of greenhouse gas emissions, right? Yeah, um, that's what's that's what's driving the warming, and so yeah, I think it's. You know, I guess barring the sort of societal and political will to, you know, really rein in greenhouse gas emissions and and, and some major investments and some technologies or whatever to sort of start pulling some carbon out of the atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, I think this is kind of what we're looking at. We're going to have to sort of accept the new norm, I think, in a lot of these cases. And how does the how does the redistribution of new salmon streams work? Have you guys seen any of that where in your study areas where essentially habitat opens up as temperatures warm in, in streams that may not have been ideal for salmon. And then all of a sudden salmon show up. You know, we're not so, well, there is a little bit of that. There's, you know, I, I guess at the, at the, at the, at the continental scale, we're probably seeing salmon moving sort of north into the North Slope streams. They're probably becoming more abundant up there. There's a bit of work going on about this now, trying to figure out. Um, so pinks and chums are showing up like on the North Slope streams. and Oh, yeah. Maybe in increasing numbers. Maybe they're um, developing sort of populations there. I think time will tell. But there's a lot of There's a lot of great salmon habitat up there if the ocean conditions will allow you know, fish to make it in and out of there and carry on their life cycle. So that's an interesting sort of opportunity for salmon moving forward. Um, it's just that northward expansion. And then like, you know, places like this, like, like Cook Inlet and the Susitna Valley where, where I've been working, you know, I guess there's some kind of roundabout evidence that, that, you know, we're not like, monitoring abundance up in the headwaters, say, as opposed to down valley to, to detect fish populations like shifting up valley, but that's okay. certainly a possibility. And then, you know, some of the work that we've done, we see that um, in warm years, um, I, like I mentioned earlier, in, in, in warm years, some of the lowland kind of warm streams that were historically very productive get pushed over this temperature threshold. And we see signs that they're becoming less productive. But at the same time, some cooler headwater streams um, seem to become more productive in those warm years because their sort of baseline is colder than the thermal optimum. So a little bit of warming in some streams helps them. Um, So, yeah, there's probably going to be a a shift in the distribution of the most productive habitat within some of these watersheds. And, and, you know, in general, that's going to be moving uphill. Um, so yeah, it sort of fits with some ecological theory, and we're seeing some evidence for that. But you got to remember too, though, with king salmon in particular, who are migrating and spawning um, during the during the sort of peak of summer temperatures, 
but they have to go through all those warm main stems. You know, even if they are spawning, you know, at higher elevations and colder water, they still need to migrate through those, you know, warm sea level main stem rivers and to get there. And kings take longer to migrate. Is that correct? Oh, it just, it depends on the system and how far they're going. Okay. Yeah. You know, like, you know, in the Yukon river, those fish are pushing all the way through Alaska and way into Canada, you know, so that's a long trip for them, but yeah, around here we have shorter watersheds and they're not swimming so far and it just, it's really population dependent. So do you see like Kings with sea lice on them in the Deshka? No, by the time they're, so the mouth of the Desh, Deshka is, oh, maybe 20, 30 miles up the Susitna. Um, and I haven't handled a lot of adults there. I'm, I mostly handle juveniles. I I think their sea lice are off them by that point. Okay. So I, uh, but the, yeah, yeah. The, the, the state folks that run the weir handle a lot more of them. They could, they could answer that question. But I, I'm guessing that, you know, they're only on there for a couple, two, three days. I think they're gone by then. Yeah, that was always the like the indicator of like when you're fishing the Russian River, you know, oh, it has sea lice on it. It's fresh, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah. That, that's a that 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 trip probably traveled. The fish probably traveled that pretty quick if they're uh, still have sea lice by the time they get to the Russian. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know for sure that I've caught them with sea lice in the Russian, but yeah, definitely uh, on the Kenai for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. And there was there was one thing that I wanted to ask you if this if this meant anything or if you knew anybody looking at it. So there was a period of like historical data, and I don't know how it was gathered, but like sockeye sockeye salmon on the Russian River were generally abundant for the last thirty seven hundred years, but then about in a six hundred year period they were absent. And it doesn't say why they were absent. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is this was yeah. This is the work that a former grad student of mine did. Did you just stumble on that? Uh, it was in one of your. Um, it was in the future Pacific famine and. Oh. Oh. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. We referred to that. It, yeah. Yeah. We referred to that in a separate publication. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So a former grad student of mine had done some sediment coring. In. Upper Russian Lake, which is the main um, nursery lake for that system. And she was looking at nitrogen stable isotopes conserved in the sediment cores. And so she went, I got, I can't remember. I think she went back and was able to go back like 4,000 years. Yeah. And, and reconstruct, you know, nitrogen stable isotopes are sort of a, a proxy for salmon abundance because the um um the 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 nitrogen that would work its way into the watershed from the terrestrial environment um is well it's 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 relatively depleted uh has uh it, it comes from the atmosphere by nitrogen fixing plants like alders and so um it's different basically than the nitrogen that comes from the ocean, which has a lot more N15 in it. So salmon are bringing in this heavy nitrogen and the landscape is producing this light nitrogen. And you can sort of look at the ratio over time and, and have sort of a rough guess of how many salmon have been coming back, assuming that you can date the strata in those cores some way. Right. And so yeah, yeah. Different chemical tricks. And there was actually some nice volcanic 
ash layers that we were able to work with some folks at the Alaska Volcano Observatory to identify these very specific ash layers that were able to help date that timeline, you know. And so she analyzed um, nitrogen-stable isotopes incrementally throughout that whole sediment column. Yeah, and you can see that there was a long period of time where there were few or no salmon returning to that system. That's fascinating. Yeah, it's fascinating. It is fascinating. And we compared it to some work that had been done on a couple different lakes on Kodiak Island, which is like, what, a couple thousand kilometers away. And those were the two other very long time series of past salmon abundance. And they overlaid very nicely. The, the, The Russian data overlaid very nicely with these two lakes from Kodiak. So it appears to be some sort of, you know, broad scale climatic phenomenon that was driving that if it's happening on the Kenai and on Kodiak sort of in lockstep. Yeah. Um, but n- so could- there's no smoking gun though in the research. Oh, go ahead. There's no smoking gun in the research though, right? Like for what caused that? No, ap- I, yeah, we were look we looked at some climate proxies and couldn't find anything really specific that would explain it. As I recall, it's been a while since I thought about this, but um, you know, something that, I think the simplest answer would be, oh, it must be something in the ocean, you know, if it's driving changes that far apart. You know, what's happening in the ocean is sort of correlates, you know, climatic-wise with freshwater conditions too, you know, because it's the same sort of climate system. So it's a little tricky to pick them apart, you know. Um, But as I recall in that Russian lake, we did see, I think we saw a lot more sediment during that downturn. The sedimentation rate went up, so there appeared to be maybe more glacier melting or something like there was a warm period that might have caused that um i have to go back and reread the paper it's yeah been a since i thought about it but it's it's interesting stuff what um if you had to predict what fishing in alaska is going to be like for our grandkids what would you say oh boy different <laughs> um you know just the changes i've seen in you know, 23, four years. Boy, if you extrapolate that rate of change, uh, boy, it's going to be very different, you know? Yeah, when I moved here, there were vibrant king salmon fisheries all over the Susitna Valley. I think there have been years, you know, the, the, the Deska River where I'm working, it would always open with the bag limit of one king salmon yeah. per day. Um, I think the Cook Inlet annual limit of five fish has been instated since I've been here. Early on, there were there were years where the Deshka River was so productive they would they would increase the bag limit to three fish a day by emergency order or two fish a day for sure. I think it had gone to three a day one or more years. So just like a lot of excess productivity, you know. And now those streams don't even open most years. So yeah, the king salmon. Fishing opportunities are, you know, all but evaporated, you know, except for some ocean fishing, you know, where you're just fishing non-local fish for the most part. Like even like cooking lets close now largely for king salmon fishing in the salt water to protect local spawners, you know. In southeast Alaska, where I fish a bunch, the salt water there on the inside waters has been uh, closed to protect uh, local returning king salmon so these opportunities is going down 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 for king salmon plus they're becoming smaller well it's hard to picture that turning around you know um, yeah that's 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 you know gut wrenching yeah yeah 
and then things like the Pacific Cod that I mentioned earlier, like, yeah, maybe they're going to come back um, or maybe we'll get another marine heat wave that knocks them back again. You know, it's hard to say. Um, I've, I've seen, I, it's, you know, it's not so much a sport fishing thing, but I assume you've seen the headlines about the billions of snow crab that have disappeared from the Bering Sea due to warming there. It, um, you know, it's affecting that whole, you know, huge fishery and um, that a lot of, people in that area dependent on so yeah big changes halibut the the halibut fishing has declined correct um yeah i think so it's it's not as you know that yeah that's sort of that's federally managed and they come up with quotas every um year for that and it kind of bounces around but it hasn't been the, the like sort of ratcheting down that we've seen like in king salmon you know yeah, it's just, you know, obviously I've been away from Alaska for quite some time, but it's, and I haven't been following it specifically, but hearing what you're saying and thinking about some of these rivers when I was living there and just to think like how much of our recreation revolved around these rivers and then to think that it's gone, it's not even available, <laughs> yeah. is mind-blowing. Yeah, 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 worse uh, they've been the state managers have been counting the run on the desk. Uh, uh, gosh, I want to see since the 70s or the 80s. I can't remember when they started there. Worst, it was worst run ever this year. Yes. And then, uh, yeah, and then, we, and then a real a bad coho run in that area this year, too. So, they, you know, they, they've been kind of hanging on a little better than the Kings, and a, a lot of those. Susitna Valley coho fisheries were closed this year due to bad returns too. So hopefully that's not a, uh, hopefully that's not becoming a long-term phenomenon there. And I remember the, the big thing was like, there was boat transports that would take you up the Deshka and, and, and fish, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that was popular to do if you were, you were in Anchorage kind of get away from the, the crowds. And I know there's some guides that operate out of the desk or did back in the day. Yeah, there's still a little bit of guiding up there, but that, that industry has to be <laughs> contracting. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. And then the Alexander Creek probably crashed about the time. And that was, you know, that, that was probably, I don't know, it's tough to say what was going on at Alexander Creek, but, you know, there's a lot of, there's a, uh, we have invasive northern pike in the, in the Susitna Valley and, and they really set up shop in that Alexander Creek. And that was a big King salmon fishery. And that hasn't closed. And for man, for a long, it hasn't opened in a long time. A lot of lodges were down there and there's a, you know, a real vibrant guiding industry and everything there. And yeah, that hasn't opened and geez, probably almost 20 years. Isn't Lake Creek out that way too? Yeah. Lake Creek's up the Yantna a little ways. And um, yeah, it's another area that's, yeah, they had a lot of lodges and guiding, and uh, that that area. It's that Lake Creek's not opening anymore either, as far as I know. Yeah, I did. I did environmental work out there when I was living in in Anchorage, and one of our clients was a lodge on the on the on the um, on Lake Creek, and uh, I had to go out there and sample their drinking water system. So of course, I fished when I wasn't working, and I pulled off a feat where I caught all five species of salmon no. <laughs> in one day. And that's and cool, I, man. Yeah. I have to, I have to come clean there. It was, it was later in the year and there was, 
one like spawned out king, the yeah, only yeah. king. And I was thinking, I'm like, shit, I just caught every species. If I catch this king, wasn't very that's sporty, funny. but I, I did catch all five in one, <laughs> one trip. But now that's you those those streams are done as well, right? Yeah, I don't yeah, 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 yeah. Nothing nothing's open. No, nothing in the Sicilian Valley is opening uh with any predictability these days, yeah. It's just mind mind blowing. It is. So our our grandkids are are not going to be doing a bunch of float trips and and packing the cooler for for the winter with salmon. Um, probably not king salmon, and you know probably not in South Central here. Um, I mean, there's some bright spots, you know, sockeye salmon are doing pretty well in general, you know, not universally. Silvers are silvers are doing okay for the most part, you know. There's some there's some poor runs here and there that are concerning you know but for the most part they're they're kind of holding their own so yeah but it's it's uh it's it's tough to tough to imagine those kings coming back that's for sure what about uh stillhead do you have you looked in any um do you do any research on stillhead no yeah not personally not personally i have a i have a, I have a friend that manages those steelhead streams down in the lower Lower Kenai, he's pretty, he's pretty dialed in on down there. But yeah, I haven't done any work with Steelhead. Gotcha. I would imagine that probably similar impacts from warming temperatures. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder. Um, you know, just anecdotally, like some of the guys that work for me were have had some great Steelhead fishing this fall, <laughs> and the, like yeah. the harvest pressure is not there. You know, um, they're they're essentially manages the catch and release species. Yeah, yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Um, and they're not, I don't think, I don't think high numbers of them are caught, you know, incidentally in any commercial fishery or anything. So, um, I guess that's one less pressure that they have on them. Yeah. Dan, why? Um, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to put up too, that they're spawning in the, in the spring when conditions are pretty cool and, you know, they're, they're either running in the fall or running in the spring, depending on the system. So, um, yeah, just thinking. I, you know, they do rear in freshwater for extended periods, so that that could be a you know a, a vulnerability on the freshwater end. And who who knows how their food webs are changing on the marine side? You know, I, I certainly don't. But um, but they're um, at least the adults are avoiding the warmer temperatures. Gotcha. You know, this is like I was saying earlier. This is like a a one eighty from our normal podcast topics, but why should hunters and even hunters in the lower 48 who may not give a, a you know what about salmon or warming temperatures in Alaska why should we care about the salmon runs and the health of salmon production as sportsmen specifically hunters well, I mean, yeah, who doesn't who doesn't want to come to Alaska at some point? You know, exactly. We're just, uh, and, and uh, yeah, I mean, you gotta you gotta be on the lookout for your fellow outdoorsmen too. And and uh, yeah, maybe you're not having plans to come up here and fish king salmon at any point. And you cer- certainly aren't planning that trip now, you know. But just to have the option is nice, you know. Um, and just knowing that those fish and that those ecosystems are functioning, you know. I, you know, I it's got to give sportsmen everywhere some level of comfort, you know. But um, 
yeah, just we're we're losing we're losing opportunities here, you know, and and elsewhere, and uh, yeah, it's not a good thing. And that habitat is is probably also used by moose and ducks and a plethora of other species. Yeah, yeah. Now you know, on, on, on the bright side, the habitat's still there, and it's it's largely intact, and it's you know it's it's warmer than it used to be, but uh, you know it's largely it's it's largely functioning. You know, it's not it's not uh, it's not yeah, like I said, it's not dammed up. It's not doesn't there's not you know roads and impervious surfaces and all these problems. You know, tire runoff, killing <laughs> killing salmon like down in Seattle, and yeah. you know it's like. <laughs> There's a lot of problems we don't have here, you know. Uh, so you know, it, it, it's 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 it seems you know it's technically feasible that you could see a, a rebound in these numbers if the you know the the weather and climate uh, come together in such a way that um, that it's not stressful to fish and we get the ocean food webs you know back on track and things like that. Um, there's there's some there's some possibilities. Um, just because the habitat's still there, so yeah, yeah, time will tell. But it, it's not looking, it's not looking great, especially for the Kings. Do you have any any research you're doing this season? Yeah, yeah, a lot of temperature related stuff. So we have, you know, I've been on that on Deska River. Um, I've been running a temperature network there. We have, geez, I want, I think it's, I want to say 100. We have 180 temperature loggers. On the Deska River, they're recording temperature every 15 minutes year round. It's like millions of data points a year. So we're just recording temperature all over that watershed, you know, all in this sort of salmon production context, you know. And then over in the Copper River, there's another system over there that's a big, the Copper River's biggest king salmon spawning stream is the Gokana River. So we have a temperature network over in the Gokana. Um, similar, it's a slightly smaller network, but we're Temp- recording temperature year round at a whole bunch of sites over there. It's um, a great fishery, or at least it was for Kings. We've had some, we had great days on the Golcana. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, Golcana is not opening these days. Uh, I don't, for sport fishing, I don't think. I can't, no I don't, uh, yeah. And so, yeah, we're, it, it's, 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 it's a warmish system. It's not as warm as the Deshka. Um, it's kind of an interesting comparison. And then, um, yeah, we were, we started a project this year where we were radio tag. So I've been involved with some work with a collaborator of mine at USGS, and she's really interested in looking at these biochemical indicators that of heat stress in salmon. And so one thing we've been doing on, we started this year, um, hopefully it's a multi-year study, where we were collecting tissue samples of upstream migrating king salmon to, to, to look at their levels of heat stress along their sort of migratory corridor. And then we're implanting those fish with radio tags to archive the temperature. So we're able to, um, as the, we send those fish on their way up river and they have a tag on that's recording temperature every five minutes. So we're can reconstruct their whole thermal history of that run. Assuming we can hunt those tags down and find them. So we put a whole bunch of effort into that. We, we rated tagged 49 females with these temperature archival tags this year. And we were able to recover 31 of those tags wow. uh, just by doing repeated float trips with, with receivers and, and, uh, and, and hunted them down, you know. Oh, so yeah, we have the 
um, the thermal history of 31 up upriver bound female Chinook on the desk, which is going to be super interesting. And this year was um, this year was a, a cool year. It was kind of like a, kind of like the good old days weather wise. Oh, nice. Um, so it's going to be a nice sort of like best case scenario for that uh, that the temperature there, you know. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting if in future years we get some warm years, we can start to just, I'm curious about the extent to which these fish are using little cold pockets and cold tributaries to behaviorally thermoregulate, you know, um, and in a warm year, just how much time are they actually spending in water that's above their sort of thermal tolerance. So yeah, that's, that could get interesting as time goes on, especially if we see some of that warmer weather come back. Um, and then also with that project, you know, we're, we're out on the river a lot, floating a lot. And, you know, we're just encountered naturally dead spawned out king salmon, you know, with some regularity. And so we've also started a monitoring pro program where we're just cutting them open to see how many, how many eggs are, are, are left, you know, asking the question to this given fish live long enough to spawn all of its eggs or did it die at some point before it was able to spawn? So we're just starting a data set on that as well. Um, for the Deshka River. And then, yeah, it was, a, it was a cool year and we saw pretty good spawning success. Like very few of those female kings had eggs in them um, oh, nice. upon death. So, yeah, yeah. So it, um, there so is yeah, a lot light. of temperature related stuff. There is a light oh, at ahead. the end of the tunnel if, if we can get some colder, colder uh, conditions. Cooler conditions. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it'll help for sure, you know, as long as... Things that in the ocean environment uh, aren't aren't you know a barrier to productivity out there too you know but yeah it, it'll certainly help yeah and um, yeah it's not real it's not all terrible doom and gloom either like we had on the desk and I want to say it was twenty twenty one we had a like a, a nice bump of, you know large king salmon that it wasn't a surprise to the managers they had seen this sort of brood you're working its way up through the age structure of that run and they maxed out at five salt fish in 2021 i believe so there was like a maybe twelve thousand or so fish run or escapement uh, plus some harvest they opened the sport fishery there's a lot of nice big fish around it was fun to be out there floating and seeing all these big kings everywhere you know but um yeah that um and then we saw a nice um a lot of juveniles the following year from that spawning event. Um, so, you know, it's, it's every once in a while you get a, 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 a good run and, um, and some good reproduction, but it's not probably not as consistent, certainly not as consistent as it used to be. So in four years from now, we'll have to do a podcast again and, and evaluate how these, these cooler, <laughs> they're yeah, four year yeah, run yeah. fish, right? Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's fun to it's yeah, it's fun to watch the you know like 2019 we had that record heat wave, so it's been kind of it's the fish affected by that, you know, in freshwater are starting to come back now. So it's kind of interesting to watch that unfold. It'll be interesting to watch this big brood year of 2021 kind of unfold, like what you know, um, do those fish survive to make it back as adults? You know, it, yes, it's 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 this is the most work I've done in like focused on one particular system. Um, so it's kind of fun to have little pet questions like that. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, I'll, I'll let you, uh, I'll let you, we'll wrap things up here. And, um, but I can't tell you how much I appreciate the work you're doing and, 
hopefully we have some good news and and our kids are still fishing for salmon in <laughs> you know in years to yeah come. yeah well, well i'll get in touch if you want to come back up this way man we'll go we'll catch something <laughs> yeah i need to i need to make it up there again i i have buddies that are still up there and they're like you know they send me the pictures and i'm like god it's killing me not being up there yeah yeah all right, well, yeah, nice talking with you, Jim. I appreciate yeah. the opportunity. Yeah, thanks again, Dan. And we'll have to come on and do this again. All right, all right, take care. Thanks, you too.